Welcome to Under the Bleachers. This is a podcast that explores all things sports, all things queer, and the fabulous intersection where queer and sports meet. This podcast is brought to you by Team DC, the nonprofit association of LGBTQ sports and recreation organizations in the Washington, D.C. area. I'm Laura. I'm on the board of Team DC. I've played and loved sports my entire life, and I've played with the DC Furies and Rogue Darts. And I'm Gabe. I'm also on the board of Team DC and I'm a diehard sports fan. I've played with many of the Team DC sports member leagues, including the DC GFFL, Stonewall Kickball, Rogue Darts, Kara Bowling, and recently the Washington Scandals Rugby Football Club. And I also do a little drag on the side. We hope you enjoy this week's trip under the bleachers. Welcome, everyone. Lauren Gabe here. It's November 2nd, the end of Dia de Muertos and Election Day Eve. You're listening to episode 20 of Under the Bleachers. On this podcast, we take turns, and this week it was Gabe's turn to choose our topics. For our discussion of all things queer, we're going to discuss queer suffragettes. For our conversation on all things sports, we're going to talk about Josh Turner and his COVID debacle at the World Series. For the intersection of sports and queer, we're welcoming silver and bronze medalist and Team USA heartthrob, Daniel Levia, into the LGBTQ plus family. After that, we're going to share our interview with Team DC member club, the DC Gay Basketball League. Before we get into our topics, we always like to give you an update on Team DC. All Team DC events are currently on hold because of COVID restrictions. But Team DC has added a few new social media features, including Feature Fridays, which features posts about members of our various member clubs of Team DC, and Spotlight Sunday, which features posts about LGBTQ athletes. Make sure to follow Team DC at Team DC LGBT on Facebook, at Team DC Sports on Instagram, and on Twitter. And Gabe and I will keep bringing you all new episodes of Under the Bleachers every Monday at underthebleachers.podbean.com and on all of your favorite podcast platforms, including Google, Apple, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and Stitcher. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast. Taking the extra few seconds to hit those buttons or type a quick review means a lot to help us get the word out. And share us with a friend or two if you know people that would be interested in listening in. With that, here's Gabe with our first topic in this week's trip under the bleachers. All right, for my topic of all things queer this week, we're going to wrap up LGBTQ plus history month and dig into a little queer history about the women's suffragette movement. So August 26, 2020 marked the 100th anniversary of the 19th Amendment taking effect. Well, partially in effect. Black women were entitled to vote in 1920, but did not have full access to vote in all states until 1965. If you look in the history of women's suffrage, you can find members of our queer history since the beginning. One suffragette, Annie Tinker, refused to conform to the gendered notion of how a woman should dress and would be seen riding in suffragette parades on horseback in, quote, mannish garb, which included a man's coat, breeches, and a silk hat. We also have Dr. Margaret Chung of San Francisco, an activist with the Chinese American League of Justice, the Chinese Protective Association, and the Chinese Women's Reform Club, who challenged gender norms early on and stereotypes of her day. 
Her actions were often labeled as, quote, unladylike and odd for her time. And her close friends even called her Mike. Alice Dunbar Nelson worked as an organizer for the National Women's Party and the National Association for Colored Women. Alice was known to have relationships with both men and women in private. After the death of her husband, poet Paul Lawrence Dunbar, her diary later revealed a thriving lesbian and bisexual subculture in many black suffragettes. Power couples in the movement were considered to be in Boston marriages, which they were called, which were independent women who lived together without a man to support them. Remember, we're talking about the 1910s and 20s. Some relationships were purely platonic, but others were also romantic. Sadly, many of our queer heroine storylines were altered or erased by historians. We need to share their stories and remember this part of our LGBTQ plus history. All right, Laura, did you know of any of these uh, queer heroines or any of the, the history of the suffragette movements uh, towards the queer lens? So, yeah, I sure did. Well, you're talking about like, like the days like even like now where you can get fired for saying that you're gay or trans or queer or lesbian or anything. But you're talking about 1910s, 1920s, where, yeah, it, it was just a really hard time to say anything and like we were losing a lot of these stories because a lot of historians kind of brush away from this part of the history. You have to understand that like in the sixties and seventies and gay men were really fighting to come to the forefront. Right. But women were still being marginalized because you're definitely, yeah. I don't know. I think that we all have to remember like, and I don't lesbians get shit done. Right. Like, (laughs) lesbians are out there all the time being like nobody wants me to be a boss or be in charge but i want to be in charge lesbians are always going to be at the first they're always going to be at the first line of trying to get shit done oh yeah we talked about that before i was like yeah lesbians get shit done like this is why you know why why certain things happen if you always look at anytime a group has been marginalized or there's a group that's fighting for something there's always queer people at the forefront of it. And there's, there's always the lesbian in charge who's taking over and saying like, you know what? No, this is wrong. We're going to take over and we're going to get shit done. We're going to make this happen. It's always a bunch of angry women who run to the forefront. And it, there's a reason for that. It's because we live in a shitty society where women are not treated equally. They're not treated with respect. And so there's always going to be some woman who is pissed off and wants to run to the front. Talk about like like radical times where it's like, you know, yeah, it, it's a woman trying to say like, hey, this is wrong. But even like some of these like uh, people that I was like going through and researching where it's like they were like, it's a double whammy. There were women, there were women of color, they were, you know, lesbian, queer, gay, bisexual, and you're talking about 1910s, 1920s, trying to come out in public saying, I want to live my own life. I don't need a man to do whatever. I'm going to do this. And it was like revolutionary and insane because, again, at the time, women can't do that. Yeah, that's right. And I 100% respect that, you know, Gabe, you decided to do, you know, kind of talk about this because it is Gay History Month and all. Well, that's my thing is like you actually go out and vote. You actually do something. There's so many people that have been fighting for our right to vote, uh, no matter you know what spectrum or whoever you are. People have been fighting for your right to vote. You need to go out and 
express your voice, express your views, do whatever. Because, yeah, generations before us have been fighting for all of us to have this right. And it kind of annoys me when people are like, oh, I don't, I don't feel like I don't like any of the candidates or I, I haven't done the research. I haven't done anything. And it's like, no, we, we owe it to ourselves and to our society as a whole to, like, take the time to research the candidates, research whoever's running, you know, down ballot, do whatever, and actually, you know, take part in what makes society run. Yeah, no, I 100% agree with you. My closing argument to everyone has been, hey, you just lived four years in a universe where a person who doesn't believe in politics, a person who says that they are outside of government, has been running things. And you are here today and you get to see where you're at and you get to hear what this person says is going to like his plan, if you call it a plan is for the next four years. And it's choice time. What I wanted to show to people is like the LGBTQ plus group, um, our voting block makes a difference and we make stuff done. Like we have a chance to elect so many different members of our community into, you know, different state houses, into our local elections. This election, we have the most LGBTQ plus people running for office of all levels, like regardless of the presidential election, down ballot, everyone's on the line right now. So people need to go out and support our community, support our rights, support what we're going for and be represented like we we have a chance to get people that represent our community that we can identify with. This is important and people need to take it back, especially LGBTQ plus people who are being attacked every day. Like this is our chance to come together as a community and say, hey, you know what? Our voices need to be heard. We are a majority. We are voting a voting block and we need to be there at the forefront. Because if not, then don't complain. If your rights get taken away, don't complain about anything else if you're not going to go vote. All right. <laughs> and on that note, all right. So now for my sports topic, we're talking COVID, COVID, COVID at the World Series. After an interesting baseball season and nail-biting finale against the Tampa Bay Rays, the LA Dodgers won the 2020 World Series. So Justin Turner is in hot water after taking the field to celebrate with his teammates after testing positive for COVID-19. So Turner took a COVID test on Monday, which was inconclusive, and was later retested on Tuesday, which was game six of the World Series. The test came back positive, and Turner was removed from the game in the seventh inning. He was quarantined at a doctor's office in the stadium, but later disregarded security's request and ran onto the field without a mask and participated in the Dodgers team celebration after the game had ended. Critics are saying Turner's selfishness put the team and many lives at risk for serious illness. We won't know for a few days how many people were exposed to the virus, but video shows that Turner was in close contact with many players and staff without a mask. Some fans defended Turner, saying he was already in close contact for seven innings with the, t with the team before he was pulled, and what could be the harm of that? Others who dealt with the virus said he was being reckless. All right, Laura, what do you think? Are Josh Turner's actions serious enough to warrant an MLB investigation? Well, 
first of all, there's no investigation needed because everything he did and everything that we all know is like literally on is on video. Right. So we absolutely don't need an investigation. What we need is some fucking decision about how serious we're supposed to take this virus. Like it is wild to me that in the middle of a game, somebody like basically walked up and was like, oops, Justin Turner tested positive. He should Let's take be him out pulled of the game. from the game. Like he should How not be the playing. How did that even happen? You didn't take- After seven, seven innings. Seven How did innings. that happen? Like your entire team should have been tested at the same time. You should have been tested every single day. You should have like I, I very strictly be, quarantined in between tests. I will be amazed if maybe half or if not of the entire like Dodger roster and the staff and anyone there in the stadium test positive for COVID within two weeks. It's going to be insane. Like you saw them running around like it is going to be insane. The entire thing blew it, my mind because as far as I'm concerned, it was weird that we decided it was super important to have baseball. We should have just said this pandemic is scary as fuck. Everybody stay home. We're not doing baseball. If I mean, we've talked about it with other sports where we said like, hey, you know, we talked about like uh, women's soccer and the, the different tournaments that was going on at like other places where people like elite athletes have opted out of not going to play sports because they were afraid of what was going to happen with the pandemic and things are going on. I get it. People wanted baseball. We needed a distraction. We got the baseball. We put in these precautions and this testing and whatever. The minute that the test came inconclusive, wouldn't you think that you would test it again? That was the thing that blew my, like, okay, I get it. I was like, all right, you retested him. When it became inconclusive, it's like, all right, so let's just wait a day plus seven innings of baseball. You realize that he is, yes, positive for COVID, is probably transferring this, you know, deadly virus to everyone. And then, yeah, just let him because he wants to. Security told him, no, stay in the outside. He's like, no, I'm not going to do it. My team just won. I get it. Your team won the World Series. But don't be so selfish about it. You just, like exposed all these other people because you wanted that picture you wanted to go hang out and party you can party later when you feel better you're going to get your parade later on you're going to get your celebrations later on it's not like so much i get it you won the world series also it's it's a very weird like season of baseball so 2020 is always going to have that weird asterisk but come on man like you're a player you should know that you should respect your teammates respect everyone else and be an example to other people who are watching to say, Hey, I tested positive for COVID. I could possibly kill someone. You know what? I'm going to sit this one out and be okay with it. For this week's topic at the intersection of sports and career, we're talking about two-time Olympic hottie, Danelle Leva. How did I miss this news? Okay. On October 11th, AKA national coming out day, AKA Laura's birthday, bronze and silver medalist, Danelle Leva, spoke to his fans about his own personal coming out story. Leva always says he knew he wasn't straight, but is trying to figure out if he's bisexual or pansexual. The Cuban-born athlete states he struggled with his sexuality and feelings of rejection in the Hispanic community. And Leva is now living his true self and not rushing to label what he identifies as. 
Leva shared her story to remind the people that the words and actions that they do and say have consequences. It took him a while to personally come out because of people's perceptions of his sexuality that made him feel uncomfortable. Leva hopes his own coming out story will help normalize things to help future generations. I'm happy to welcome Dena Leva into the LGBTQ plus family. All right, now to watch his shirtless all-around performances at the 2016 Olympic Games in Rio. All right, Laura, did you hear anything about uh, the story that popped up on October 11th on National Coming Out Day or anything about Dena Leva before? Uh, absolutely not. This only came to my attention when you told me about it. That having said, <laughs> I wasn't super surprised, right, that Dana Leva... Yeah, more Olympians, more gay Olympians. Yeah, here's the thing. Like, I wasn't super surprised that he's part of the tribe. I, mean, I welcome him. I welcome everyone, whoever, whenever, ever. You know, like for some people, it's going to be at 15, super obvious that they want to be in the community. For other people at 35, they're going to all of a sudden be like, oh, yeah, this is where I was supposed to be my entire life. Right. I welcome you all. Yeah, like one of the things that I thought was like very interesting, one, because I was always following Dan Aleva. He was one of my Olympic crushes like going on. I was like, yeah, he's part of the community. But also like hearing the story, reading what he was saying and being also like we're both members of the like Hispanic community. He's Cuban-American, I'm Mexican-American. I, you know, he's actually Cuban, born in Cuba. Um, yeah, it's it, it's the hard thing because like us as, as Latinos and Hispanics, there's always this like, machismo aspect of like men have to be men men can do whatever and it's like that hard bit and it's like yeah it's 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 hard and for any member of like the lgbtq plus community like you come out once but you it's basically like you have to come out every time you meet someone or anytime you're in a new situation that was the thing that he was saying he was like and the thing that affected him especially about coming out was that he always, again, like a lot of us, like he thinks like, oh, what are people going to think about me? What are people saying? Like, and yeah, like words do affect people. Like what you, you hear from your family, your friends, people around you, your community, where you grew up or whatever, it does affect you. And so we need to learn like, yeah, we need to be careful what we say and our actions and what we do because it affects people. And I agree, like, and, and we, we do need, like, personally, I, I'm glad that we have more Hispanic and Latino people of color, like, coming out and telling their personal stories of coming out, because we need that. Like, there is this, like, horrible machismo type of, you know, culture that's out there, um, and we see that, you know, a lot, like, growing up as, like, little, like, queer and gay and lesbian uh, kids growing up that we have to fight what people think of what you know members of the lgbt community can do and saying that like oh because you're gay you're lesbian you're trans you're queer you're whatever you identify as you can't do this you can't be an olympic medalist you can't be an athlete you can't do that because that's not what those people do it's like no it's good to have these stories of coming out and i kind of like i agree like it's i like that he says he doesn't he knows that there is always something, and I hate to say it, like he's always something different about him. And it's like, it's not that you're different. It's just like you're who you are. So yes, to Daniel Leva, thank you, you know, for your own personal story. It's inspirational. And yeah, just like for everyone else who's listening and everyone else like 
just be that person that someone can come up to you and talk to and just be like, hey, you know, share your own personal coming out stories and let people know that it's okay to question and okay to feel different per se and just be okay to, you know, feel something different that wherever you're coming from or your society or culture or whatever says is wrong. No, it's okay to feel different. It's okay to find your own way to get through life. Yeah, absolutely. Welcome to the family, Daniel. And, you know, take your time. And to everybody else, you can do this on your own time frame. There's always going to be somebody who, regardless of where you are in the spectrum, there's always going to be somebody that will uh, be able to reach out, join you, and uh, embrace you at that point. Absolutely. And hopefully, like, one day I would be the person that someone can feel comfortable to come up to me and talk about and just, like, hey, just be an ear, talk to someone, and just, you know, everyone just share your story. Okay, that's this week's Under the Bleachers roundup of all things queer, all things sports, and things at the intersection of sports and queer. We are going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we will share our interview with Team DC Member Club, the DC Gay Basketball League. We're back with Under the Bleachers. Today we have Aaron Ross with the DC Basketball, DC Gay Basketball League. Sorry about that. Um, how's it going? Doing pretty good, Gabe. Thanks a lot. Cool. So can you tell us a little bit more about the DC Gay Basketball League? The uh, league's been around. This is our last season. Last year, um, we had a season that played in January through uh, March. Um, that was our seventh season. <laughs> I guess we've been around for a little bit. Um, it's a LGBTQ uh, league here in DC, uh, welcoming of all players of all different um, athletic abilities when it comes to basketball. We've got people that haven't played since uh, high school years, uh, people that played in kind of rec leagues um, throughout the city or throughout the years. And we've got a couple former D1 players in our league. So it's a very eclectic mix of talent that uh, seems to work with everybody having a good time coming out and enjoying uh, the sport of basketball. Great, Aaron. Um, is the DC Gay Basketball League specifically for men, women, all genders, non-binary? The league is for everyone. Uh, we've got a couple of trans players. We've got uh, women that um, play for our league. We've got men. We've got uh, straight. We've got uh, gay, uh, bisexual players. We've got allies. Um, it's kind of for everybody underneath the flag just wants to come out and enjoy a, a decent uh, league uh, of basketball in the city. Awesome. So how do you guys organize your play? Do you, are you divided up into multiple teams that play against each other? Yes. The, um, what we go is we do a draft system actually to try to uh, make the parity of teams pretty even as far as the talent distribution throughout the season. Um, we do that to give everybody a chance to be able to get out there on the court and play. And so we don't want a team to be like a Chicago Bulls or a Golden State Warriors team that's kind of just being out there to dominate everybody. We want it to actually be an experience where games are close, competition is pretty evenly matched, and everybody gets a good chance to come out and be competitive and have as much fun as they want. Um, what we actually do um, without the season, I'm sorry, the season goes on. Um, we uh, have our regular season, then we have our playoffs leading up to our championship. Uh, we do have paid referees to come and referee the game to make sure that uh, no intentional hard fouls and people actually come out and play within the rules of the sport. 
Um, in the off season, we uh, try to find good gym space to uh, provide open gym opportunity for people to come out and kind of knock the rust off in between seasons. Um, and also, it's a good way to bring in fostering new players as well. So people who might not have heard about the league may not be willing to uh, jump right head uh, deep into the waters of joining a, a basketball league. The open gym kind of gives you an opportunity to dip your toes in, give you a chance to uh, kind of meet other players and stuff like that, do some networking, find other people that uh, enjoy the sport of basketball. Cool. So where, uh, which gyms do you all play in uh, across the city? Right now, we, uh, we're looking for new gym space um, for our open gym opportunities because of COVID. A lot of things have uh, had to be canceled, so we're kind of looking for uh, new spaces right now. We're trying to find places that are metro accessible, so it's a lot easier for people inside the city to go. Uh, previously, before, we had had gyms um, right outside of um, the D.C. Maryland border out in Silver Spring, but we kind of want to now bring a lot of our uh, open gym opportunities directly into the city for easy access. Um, where we typically play our games at is in Trinity, down in uh, Brookland area in, um, what's that? Northeast, Northeast DC. So um, that's where our seasons are typically played at. Cool. And uh, besides getting together to play base, uh, basketball, do you all do um, any other different type of social outings together? Yeah. This season, we've uh, we did a couple um, events. We always have our midseason event. Uh, we do some things with our sponsors as well, um, as far as throwing events at their um, at their locations. Um, we, um, we do have a social director right now who is um, who is trying to put a couple of events, but we come right now, things are just kind of up in the air with COVID. We're looking to see how uh, the city opens back up. Everything kind of goes into a, uh, a decent um, plateau, I guess you could say, to where we can kind of get back to getting things back to normal. And uh, once that happens, then we'll definitely have things we can set in stone. But there's a lot of things going to the works right now. Very cool. So for a, if a new player wanted to come out and just get a sense, when you're during your regular season, how often do the individual teams play? Um, do you practice in between game days and things like that? Or is it on a team by team basis? During the season, the games are open to anybody to come and um, check out the season. Um, well, it's a, uh, Trinity, it's a walk in. You don't have to pay anything or anything like that. Just come check out. And then we usually go down to one of our sponsors, which is Brookland Pint. Um, afterwards, players kind of meet and mingle, uh, have a drink, have some food, kind of re, uh, re refurbish and recharge back up uh, after playing hard basketball. Um, I guess another venue is, uh, yeah, with the open gym aspects to come check out. Also, we do have a lot of events once we actually get things back up on our calendar that we post to our website, which is dcgbl.org. Um, in, in case anybody has any questions, they can are more than welcome to go check it out there or uh, send us an email. Um, and that's pretty much the best ways, I guess you could say. We've actually had some uh, a couple of new people during the COVID times to uh, send us some emails that uh, our director of players has uh, talked to them about and let them know kind of what the league is about, how we're welcoming to everybody. And once we get things back up and running and rolling, we'll be looking to, uh, to hit it full speed. Yeah, I see a lot of teams are kind of struggling with that right now. Uh, how important is it to you that we have a LGBT inclusive basketball league in DC and how is it different, I guess, for you from other leagues around the city? I found it to be very inclusive, especially for some of the people that I've talked to some of the players like this is my first year uh, being the commissioner for the league. Um, I played in the league for the last three years. Um, I, I had a hard time being able to try to do it just because of the times that we had games on Thursday nights before. And I was doing grad school and undergrad school at the time. So once I actually was able to uh, get my schedule to open up, then um, 
as she came out to the league and have been able to network, find new, uh, find new friends, find a new group of people. Cause I do play other sports around the league, but, um, for me, like there's just a very different type of group that plays basketball. So, um, like with the other sports, you see a lot of players that kind of co-mingle and play, um, amongst themselves within different leagues. Uh, with this league, it seems that a lot of the basketball players are mostly just basketball players. So it's a new group of friends and pe people that other persons around the city may not have met. Um, as far as, like I said, for our type of league, I have found people who feel that they're not of great skill in basketball. They can kind of be intimidated. And basketball can be kind of an intimidating sport because unlike other team sports, sometimes you can very well easily be isolated and um, a player may try to take advantage of that. But when people get a chance to actually rise up to that challenge and stuff like that, and they have support for their teammates, they have camaraderie, they have the ability for even other um, opposing teams and stuff. Um, we'll tell, we make sure everybody shakes hands. We make sure that everybody is like, Hey, you know what? No hard feelings. We left it out there on the court and we went to go have a good time. So um, there's a couple of players who had spoken to me this season and were like, like, I didn't know how to feel coming into this, but actually the level of, the teams are actually very evenly distributed. So you kind of guard someone on your type of level. Um, it doesn't seem like it's kind of overwhelming. It doesn't seem like it's too fast. It come, kind of comes at each and every individual player's pace. And that's a very tough thing to do in a lot of sports leagues. So I found, I think that we have kind of found a good balance of being able to make it an all-inclusive place for anybody of any level for basketball to come out and play and enjoy themselves and get as much out of it as they want. All right. Sounds like a sounds like a you guys came up with a, a, a good formula. Um, so, Aaron, I'm just curious a little bit about your background. How long have you been playing basketball? Is this a lifelong passion for you? Yeah, I kind of grew up playing basketball back in Kansas City, Missouri. Um, and then, you know, I went off to college, played a little bit at um, back in Arizona. I um I've always loved playing basketball. It's always been one of my passion sports between basketball and football. Um, how I just kind of ended up in this, I guess you can say, just um, being prior Army, got stationed in the area, um, wanted to find um, a like-minded group of individuals and stuff like that. And sport is one of the things that kind of gives a lot of people an e equal playing ground, especially in a common ground of something to uh, kind of come together with. Um, you find the camaraderie, you find the sportsmanship, the gamesmanship. You also can be as competitive as you want to be. And it also... Uh, helps light a little bit of fire in you for the competitiveness, <laughs> depending on the type of person that you are, I guess. But no, um, like basketball has always been something that I've loved doing. And this gives me an opportunity, I guess, to give something back to the community of DC as far as bringing the sport and bringing it to a large, large swath of people who otherwise might feel intimidated if they play in a straight league or feel intimidated or other leagues that can be really, really high quality competition where they have teams that they build themselves and are kind of stacked against all other teams. So uh, that may not be fun for some people because if you don't build a team that's easy to compete, then you're just gonna get demolished and it's not gonna be an enjoyable experience for you for that sport. Again, like I said, with the parity of talent, um, I feel we've done a very good job of making sure that everybody and every team is competitive and enjoying themselves so that the games are close. The, um, the level of competition that you're playing isn't gonna be like you're jumping into the deep end of a pool or anything like that. And it kind of helps you as well. We um, have actually talked about me on the board about doing like some clinics in the future and stuff like that for people who may be interested in getting better. Um, we believe that if you enjoy basketball and you do want to get better at it, we want to give anybody the tools and opportunities to do that. 
and uh, try to help themselves. Uh, some people come out, like I said, just for getting into shape and stuff like that. Some people come out just because it's something they haven't done for a long time. They kind of want to knock the rust off and have some fun. And then, like I said, you've got former D1 players who come out and still enjoy some of the hiring competition that we can provide for them to play, where otherwise they might not uh, feel comfortable playing basketball in a straight league. So I think that we have found that uh, kind of soft niche type area to where we're trying to um, make it so that anybody that comes out will kind of find their own little home to enjoy it. Cool. Um, do you personally have any uh, basketball teams, like national teams that you're following or any uh, stars that you follow? <laughs> um, well, being from Kansas City, Missouri, I am a uh, KU Jayhawks fan, rock chalk. Um, I feel like they were going to win the NCAA championship this year, but uh, uh, due to COVID times, we were not able to see the dominance that they could have uh, brought to the field. Um, as far as NBA teams, I uh, I grew up as an Indiana Pacers fan, uh, kind of uh, off the wall, which a lot of people would not think of. But um, I was a huge UCLA um, Bruins uh, fan growing up. It's college I really wanted to go to, but I still ended up going to Arizona State. But um, And Reggie Miller came out of UCLA. When the Indiana Pacers drafted him, I kind of started following the team. So like, the Pacers have always been my team because they're also one of the closest to the Midwest and it's not like I didn't like Chicago at the time growing up in the uh, the 90s, but I just liked another team. I wanted them to be the ones that knock off Chicago, but fortunately they just weren't the, weren't that team. <laughs> I, I appreciate that. I, I grew up in that era of Michael Jordan and for whatever reason was a Charles Barkley Philadelphia 76ers fan. So, you know, it was an interesting time to be a fan of anything other than the Bulls. Um, I'm curious, do you guys, as uh, as the D.C. Gay Basketball League, have any activities or organized events that center around fandom, um, whether it's, you know, watch parties or, you know, gatherings with the Wizards or the Mystics or anything like that? We do have a, a contacts within the Wizards and within the uh, Mystics as well that we've um, just got this uh, just from before COVID time. So we're kind of in the works of talking with them. Uh, definitely big promoters of their pride nights that uh, both teams do. Uh, we have we had a pretty decent turnout for the uh, the last um, pride nights uh, last year. So I think that again they'll be uh, very large as the uh, as the league continues to grow because this is actually was one of the the biggest number of players uh, that we had uh, compared to previous seasons. So and I think that it was all primarily just due to um, being able to network and uh, actually going out and promoting the league this year. Um, so, but yeah, working with the, the mystics and hopefully the wizards forward to uh, get a couple of events, maybe even hopefully get like a championship in a facility or something like that would be pretty awesome. But, um, it's baby steps right now, <laughs> kind of cultivating that uh, relationship and see how it turns out. I'm curious, uh, if you have any reactions or thoughts that you would want to share about sort of inclusivity and basketball in general, I know that Dwayne Wade has been getting a lot of press recently for some of his um, outspoken statements in favor of his daughter and the LGBT community in general. And I just wonder if you have any sort of um, comments or thoughts you would share on, 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 on that sort of development and basketball and inclusivity in general. I think that basketball is one of the first major sports that's kind of addressed um, LGBTQ issues, I guess, in the sports realm. Um, I think we've kind of seen like the NFL shy away from it, MLB kind of shy away from it. Um, I haven't really paid attention to how hockey has uh, handled the situation, but I know Mark Cuban is an outspoken advocate. 
he said if he did have a uh, if there was an open player in the uh, NBA, he would definitely uh, sign them to his team. Um, uh, especially with going on with Dwayne Wade being a huge advocate in the forefront um, for his family and for his daughter. I think that that is awesome. I think that a lot of sports get a bad rap because of the jock mentality, so to be, so to speak, within a locker room mentality, where um, being seen as anything other than straight is kind of a weakness, and that's something that you, the jocks, don't want on their team. Like everybody's got to be tough. Nobody can be weak or anything like that, or seen as that. And that's not the case. Um, you have a lot of strong uh, players that aren't weak at all, but they just happen to be gay, but they're also still players and they're also still ballers. Um, I think that we've come a long way with that because there is a national gay basketball association. We play in players from our league actually play in tournaments and have won some tournaments, national gay basketball tournaments across the country. Um, once the travel season gets back up and running again, then we'll start looking at uh, where the next couple of tournaments that we'll send teams to uh, are. But I think that basketball has shown that it can be one of those flagship type sports where having a gay player on your team is not a death sentence or anything like that. And it's actually players will welcome that player onto their team and it helps bonds like that help to make that team a stronger overall. And with that type of chemistry and camaraderie, that could easily be the difference and pulling games out when it comes down to the, uh, the last couple seconds. All right. Have you uh, personally participated in any of these tournaments across the country? Outstanding. Um, and on that note, before I let you go, I wanted to circle back and give you an opportunity to plug your website or social media sites where people um, should go if they want to find more information about the league. Um, sure. Our social medias are um, for our website is dcgbl.org. That's dcgaybasketballleague.org. Um, you can find us on Facebook under DC Gay Basketball League. Um, we'd love to have you guys join us. That's where a lot of our very, very quick hit information goes out to is on our Facebook page. We um, Instagram page, you can find us at DC underscore gay underscore basketball, um, especially once we start getting a lot of events um, back up on the calendars that we know we can uh, fulfill and get rolling then uh, we have things definitely get pushed out to our Instagram, to our Facebook page. Awesome. Um, well, Aaron, I just want to say thank you for joining us. This has been fun. It was great to hear um, a little bit more about your league, and I hope that we can have you back to talk um, again soon. Thank you very much for having me on. I really appreciate it, guys, and uh, look forward to um, hearing about the interview. Thanks for listening to this episode of Under the Bleachers. Under the Bleachers is proudly produced by and a product of Team DC. For more information about Team DC, please visit www.teamdc.org. We want to give credit to Ralph Elston, a Team DC board member, for the design of our logo. Also, our intro and outro music is provided by DC's Different Drummers Marching Band and was composed by Travis Gettinger. You can always find Under the Bleachers at underthebleachers.podbean.com and our podcast is also available on Apple Podcasts and Google Play. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast and share us with a friend so that we can all keep meeting Under the Bleachers. Under the Bleachers is hosted by Team DC Vice President Laura Freyer and Team DC Board Member for Fundraising Gabriel Hernandez. All views and opinions expressed are solely those of the hosts and the participants 
on Under the Bleachers and do not express the views of Team DC.